0: I'm London Lope. In the months before the attack on Pearl Harbor, Franklin D. Roosevelt knew that the United States was on the verge of entering another world war for which it was dangerously ill-prepared. In his new book, The Watchdog How the Truman Committee Battled Corruption and Helped Win World War II, Steve Drummond tells the little known story of how Harry Truman, a relatively unknown senator from Missouri at the time, put together a bipartisan team that took on powerful corporate entities in the Pentagon, weeding out corruption, fraud, and graft in the buildup to the war. Steve Drummond is a journalist at NPR, where he has been a senior editor for over two decades. He's written for many publications including the Detroit News, the New York Times, and Education Week. And I'm very pleased that Steve Drummond joins us
1: now. Welcome. Hey, thank you. I'm happy to be here.
0: Can you take us back to 1941 and set the stage for what became known as the Truman Committee?
1: Yeah, in the big picture, the, U. Uh, the um, war had been raging in um, Europe for a year and a half and in Asia for even longer, Uh in 1939, the U.S. suddenly found itself, as it has throughout its history, realizing there was going to be another big war and realizing that, once again, the United States was incredibly unprepared to fight in it. I'll just give you one example. in The U.S. Army, at the outbreak of war, was ranked 17th in the world in size, behind Romania. So Franklin Roosevelt and others realized <clears throat> the U.S. needed to get ready again, and they needed to do it real fast. And so that created the need for one of the biggest spending programs in the government's history. But what was the general mood of the country regarding what was
0: happening in Europe at the time?
1: most people didn't care you know most people did not were, were either not paying attention to it or were not interested in it the United States had been in a deep depression for <laughs> for 10 years huge unemployment the you know the, the focus of the vast majority of Americans at this time was on domestic issues and just trying to you know put food on the table did some see it as an opportunity Walter Ruther, the
0: head of the United Auto Workers Union said England's battles it used to be said were one on the playing field of Eden Americas can be won on the assembly lines of Detroit.
1: It was it, it was true. It was one of the things that was beginning to and would pull the country out of depression. Was the the need uh, for this massive defense buildup? It was called defense. It wasn't a war buildup at the time because we weren't in, in the war. Ruther and others, including Franklin Roosevelt, n- realized that both the United States need to prepare for war, but also that these uh, these expenditures would help help dig the economy out of the, out of trouble.
0: You've drawn largely on unexamined records of the Truman Committee as well as or oral histories, personal letters, and interviews, why have they been unexamined, and how did you gain access to personal letters?
1: This was one of the puzzling things to me in starting to write this story. I've read David McCullough's fine biography of Truman and and several other books about Truman. And generally, the biographers kind of skip over this three really important three years in Harry Truman's history. It's almost like they're in a real hurry to get to the good stuff. You know, the death of Franklin Roosevelt, Truman becomes president, the atomic bomb, Korea, all of those things. Generally, this other period of Truman's life has gotten fairly short shrift and so in the course of researching a magazine article about detroit during the war some years ago i ran across on the uh, website of the truman library these remarkable oral histories of some of the young people who went to work for the committee truman was a a dedicated letter writer especially to his wife bess who he loved very much when she was out of town he missed her he wrote a letter to her almost every day so i was able to draw on those and then during the war thousands of people wrote in Truman would go on the radio and he would say, hey, if you see something funny going on down at the factory or the shipyard, let us know. We'll try and fix it. And people took him up on that. And thousands of letters in the in these stick files from the Truman Committee. And as you know, many of them had been untouched pretty much since 1945. I was able to go through with the help of some really good archivists there and, and take a look at them. And it was really moving to read these documents and these letters.
0: Didn't the buildup for going to war or defense mobilization require a transformation of the economy with, with the government bankrolling the very expensive task of enlisting millions of citizens while also producing the equipment necessary to successfully fight? Um, I would assume that also opened up opportunities for graft, fraud, and corruption.
1: Exactly. And this was actually what got Truman on the trailer, gave him the idea of this whole committee. In early 1941, just one of many examples of what was going on, Truman started getting letters from some of his constituents. Dear Senator, you know, they're building an army camp. It was called Fort Leonard Woods in the Missouri Ozark. Something funny is going on here. You know, people are just sitting around doing nothing. It seems like nobody knows what to do. Waste. And so in typical Harry Truman style, and setting of, instead of sending one of his staffers out to check it out, Truman gets in his car in Washington, DC, and he drives out to this army camp in Missouri. He shows up, not with a big fanfare or anything, just a quiet guy in a suit, wandering around, taking notes, asking questions. And what Truman saw right it made him really angry. He saw piles of materials and lumber sitting out in the snow going to waste. He saw men sitting around doing nothing, playing cards, drawing big paychecks for nothing. He saw contractors soaking the government for three, four times what they should be getting paid. And he came back to Washington furious. And that was what led to him proposing. He stood up on the Senate floor on February 10th, 1941. He said, hey, there's a lot of waste going on here. We're, we need to be looking after the taxpayers' money. We need to make sure our soldiers and sailors have the best equipment they need. And he proposed this committee to look into this. Uh, But how quickly was
0: the auto industry able to switch to wartime production of tanks, Jeeps, and other vehicles?
1: The auto industry was making a lot of money producing automobiles, um, and the industry was very reluctant to switch over. One of the early problems in 1940 and 1941 before the u.s went to war where there were shortage of Mm. shortages of materials notably aluminum and a lot of it was going to the auto industry for civilian production it wasn't until after pearl harbor in 1941 that the government finally dropped the hammer and said, no more cars, you are going to make tanks, you're gonna switch your factories over. Um, And then once that happened, of course, the auto industry, Detroit, and the rest of the national economy swung into action in a huge way. But initially, they were very reluctant to do it. The Truman Committee was one of the uh, forces in the country that was saying, hey, you know, we need to really stop making cars. Should we be surprised that Truman, who was then a little-known senator, was given this job and given a committee? (laughs) It's funny. Yes, we should be. He was, as you say, a complete unknown. His first term in the Senate, he, he sat quietly, he watched, he listened, but really did nothing of note. Very few people outside of Missouri had ever heard of him. And so when he proposed the idea for this committee, if you think about it, this is a Democratic senator saying to the Democratic administration and to the Democratic president, hey, I want to poke my nose into how you're running the defense buildup. Franklin Roosevelt and everybody else was not crazy about this at all. However, it soon became clear that if a Democrat did not do this investigation, that Republicans uh, were happy to do it and would. So Truman got his committee, but mostly as a bit of a steam valve to take pressure off the, off the administration from being more heavily scrutinized by the other party. And then Truman had asked for $25,000 for his committee. They cut it down to $15,000. That's
0: Wouldn't, very little even then. Yeah.
1: It was peanuts, barely enough to hire a lawyer and a couple of staff. Truman had to figure out the, the trick of this was to hire people, but he would park them on the payrolls of the cabinet uh, uh, leaders. He would park them in the Social Security Administration or the Housing Administration, and they would be nominally... Uh, paid by those uh, agencies, but they would be working for him. And and in this way, he was able to build up a small staff and then in three years, turn it into the most powerful congressional investigative committee the country had ever seen. What was the political makeup of the committee? So were were, were there any prominent members in it? No. Um, it's. Uh, I read a, a magazine article that two reporters who covered the committee wrote, and they said it was kind of a B-list of senators, of Not flashy or showy or famous senators, but a B-list of solid senators um, who kind of took their public service seriously. The administration wanted a couple couple of uh, uh, veterans, Tom Connolly of Texas, who would kind of keep an eye on Truman and make sure he wasn't getting too far out of line with this criticism. But for the most part... They were, uh, most of them were in their first terms or like Truman, their second terms, kind of unspectacular, but pretty serious public servants. The other thing worth noting that comes as such a surprise in this day and age, it was bipartisan. Five Republicans initially, two, uh, sorry, five Democrats initially, two Republican. And Truman took this bipartisanship very seriously.
0: So he actually listened to the Republicans
1: very much so and they listened to him and so uh, this is one of the one of the most striking facts of the Truman committee is that in the three years Truman was its chairman, they put out 32 reports on everything from fighter planes to uh, tanks to the rubber shortage. Every single one of them was unanimously supported by all the committee members. In other words, bipartisan and unanimous support. Anybody who, like I do, who covers Washington today finds that very, hmm. a little bit inspiring and very surprising. What are some examples of waste or corruption
0: that the committee uncovered?
1: sure i'll give you there's a couple of my favorites um one really good example it's often said the truman committee saved both money and lives and we can talk about that in a bit but a really good example are um the famous landing boats that took the men and tanks and equipment ashore on d-day in 1944 and on beaches across the pacific ocean these landing boats When the war began, this was a giant question. How are we gonna take people from a boat offshore and put them on a beach a mile away while being shot at by the enemy? all kind of designs for the landing boats the navy had its own design which it favored um especially the heavier ones involving tanks they were dangerous they were underpowered they if the sea was really choppy they would sink or they would not be able to make it to shore there was a new orleans businessman andrew higgins who had a much better design he couldn't get the navy to listen to him he caught on a visit to washington he went to see truman who he said hey help me out here Harry Truman came up with a very good idea. He said to the Navy secretary, let's take one of this guy's designs, let's take your design, let's put a tank on them and let's sail them onto a beach and see which one does better. Well, Higgins' boat landed its tank successfully on the beach and then sailed back to uh, circle around the other ship which was nearly floundering in the water. So Dwight Eisenhower and many others credited these Higgins boats as they would call for making the D Day landings a success in Normandy, and it's so it's 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 one of the many examples of the Truman Committee, both stepping in to save a lot of money, save the government for wasting money on a bad design, but probably saving lives on the battlefield too.
0: What are some of examples of waste of corruption that the committee uncovered? For example, this the so called steel slump yeah. that was reported by the Pittsburgh Post Gazette. <laughs>
1: Very much so. So for about a year, the Truman Committee had been getting letters from a inspector, uh, uh, basically a whistleblower, we call him today, Getting a letter from a guy who worked in a steel plant in Pittsburgh saying, "Hey, we're, they're fudging the inspections. I'm under huge pressure to pass bad steel as good. They keep taking all of my inspectors and transferring to other duties. When nobody's looking, they just uh, make up the numbers to say that this steel is as strong as or as as uh, as strong as it's supposed to be. And then these sh- these bad steel plates are going out to the Navy or to shipyards." The Truman committee at first kind of blew it off. The letters were complicated. They didn't make a lot of sense. But all of a sudden, it became clear this was a real thing. The Truman committee went up. They went undercover in the plant. They asked to see the inspection records and turned out, literally, when they didn't have the proper strength of the steel plate, they would just make up a number and then they would write in pencil F. They asked the guy right there in the factory, what does that F mean? And he, stumbling, the guy said Well, F means phone. Well, they knew from their whistleblower that F meant fake, that they were faking these steel inspections. This was front page news around the country, you know, fake steel being shipped from steel plant. Parents of soldiers and sailors were writing into Truman saying, "Hey, I've got a son overseas in the, in the combat, and this steel company's making all this profit on bad steel. What the heck's going on here?" So it was another time when the Truman Committee stepped in, saw a problem, and got it fixed really quickly. But as you mentioned, the Pittsburgh Paper and many other many others were kind of saying, "Well, all these inspections are hurting production. Oh, steel is down. Steel production is down." Well, two months later, U.S. Steel production set a national record, and it kept doing that every month for quite a while. So Harry Truman was kind of like, well, where do you think these stories about a steel slump came from? You know, there was a lot of suspicion of big corporations doing then what they do now, trying to defend themselves, trying to deflect criticism. You know, it feels very familiar reading those files.
0: My guest on today's London Lopate at Large is Steve Drummond. His book, The Watchdog, How the Truman Committee Battled Corruption and Helped Win uh, World War II, is published by Hanover Square Press. This is WBAI New York, 99.5 FM, and and uh, also streaming live at WBAI.org. Weren't many of the deals made by the federal government with independent industrial companies done on the quick, over the phone, or with just a handshake? I would assume that uh, is definitely an invitation to corruption and, and messing up.
1: Very much so. And it's worth saying, these countries, the people who worked at General Motors or Chrysler were as patriotic as anybody else. But yeah, a lot of the times, there, there, so much of what was going on was involved the in urgency. The military wanted tanks and planes It wanted the best ones It wanted them right now. Didn't care how, as Truman said, they, they didn't care one bit how much everything costs but some of these deals um, there's a famous one involving tanks where William who who is Roosevelt's uh, main man uh, leader of the uh, uh, acquisitions program called up the head of Chrysler and in in a phone call they made a deal to build 20 million dollars worth of tanks on the phone. That was a super efficient way to get tanks made. But afterwards, it was really taking a look. One of the things that the Truman Committee looked at was nobody had ever made 500 tanks this way before. Nobody had ever mass produced tanks in a giant factory. So therefore, Nobody knew how much it would cost or how much it would cost Chrysler Corporation to make these tanks. So one of the things that the Truman Committee was very suspicious of these handshake deals. One of the things they did was months or a year later say, let's go back and look at those contracts. Let's see. And oftentimes they would find... Well, yeah, this company had made incredible profits over that. And the Truman Committee would say, "Okay, let's renegotiate that contract. Let's get some of that money back. And and in many cases, the companies were willing to do that.
0: So after we entered the war, many of these contracts were renegotiated. Very much so. How did the U.S. military take to members of the Truman Committee questioning how money was being spent?
1: Um, Initially... As today, the military doesn't really like congressional overseers poking their nose into their business. It was very, especially after Pearl Harbor, The attitude of the military was, we don't have time for all this congressional inquiries. There's a war on. We need to win the war, and this is getting in our way. In fact, the Undersecretary of Defense, right after Pearl Harbor, wrote a letter to Franklin Roosevelt saying, we need to shut down this Truman Committee. We don't have time to be running up to Capitol Hill all the time answering these questions. Truman took the opposite position um he was a combat veteran from world war one himself but then he had also seen how after world war one ended there were 117 separate congressional investigations about this or that problem or production problem or whatever truman said what's the point of that after the fact to investigate it his point was we should be keeping an eye on the military and on these big contractors while this is happening and we can save money and save lives. He came out with a statement after Pearl Harbor saying, we're not going to look at military strategy. We're not going to tell the army how to run the war, but we need to look after all these expenditures. We need to make sure that money isn't being wasted or time being wasted producing the wrong equipment or the wrong materials. Roosevelt agreed with Truman and allowed the committee to to continue its work. Didn't Truman... Truman enter into a special agreement with the War Department? Many times. Truman's goal was not to have headlines, not to have embarrassing headlines. You know, his boss, if you look at it one way, was Franklin Roosevelt. He had no interest in, in making his boss look bad or making the American people think the government wasn't doing a good job. So Truman's wish, all the time, he could call up the Secretary of the Army or the Secretary of the Navy or George Marshall, the Army Chief of Staff, and say, hey, we found this problem going on here. You should fix it. And, and, the, and happened, he had a special agreement with the War Department? as Well, a it was a, a, a verbal agreement, uh, nothing in writing, but it was basically, they had spoken many times and said, listen, we will try not to embarrass you, but we expect you to fix these problems. And when they didn't is when Truman would get angry. Many times the military, you know, they just do not like this scrutiny. They do not like this oversight. They don't don't like somebody who's not a military person telling them how to do their job. And often they would stonewall, they would delay, and that's when Truman would lose his temper. He would call a public hearing, he would issue subpoenas, and people would find themselves sitting on Capitol Hill with a room full of reporters answering very tough questions
0: okay that is uh, the military what about the relationship between the committee and and various industries
1: um, same thing it's funny the, the files of the Truman committee are full like Edsel Ford Henry Ford's son you know writing to the committee hey thanks for the inquiry you know they would often start off really really friendly Truman again, recognize that many of these people in industry were as patriotic as any other American. They were trying to do their best. But having said that, you know, there were profits to be made, lots and lots of profits, billions of dollars at stake. And so Truman was kind of trying to keep an eye on it. And then several times after the steel investigation, there was another one involving aircraft, a, a, a plant near Dayton, Ohio, shipping bad aircraft engines. Once these companies were publicly held up to shame and ridicule by the Truman Committee, then the PR, public relations machinery, would swing into action. Hey, you know, we, we got to tell our side of the story. The Truman Committee was unfair. Often, these these things became very contentious, and Truman found himself several times in, engaging in very public battles with the head of a corporation or somebody in the military. And, you know, uh, millions of dollars, but the war effort was at stake. Well, we're not at war right now, but I don't
0: know if you saw 60 Minutes yesterday. (laughs) But that was about how uh, various uh, military suppliers have hiked up the cost of uh, equipment to uh, unconscionable levels. Will we see anything similar at this time during the war War, or the lead-up to the
1: war? one can one can hope it's one of the biggest legacies of the truman committee that i mean we've all heard these stories for years like 60 minutes last night my sister texted me and she said did you see 60 minutes it sounds just like your book um we've seen the 400 hundred dollar toilet seats or the 75 five dollar wrenches or whatever the, you know this is always going to be the case uh the government needs to spend a lot of money on equipment, corporations want to make big profits and you know please their shareholders. This always comes up, and so many times throughout our history, uh, it happened a few years ago when the 1.5 trillion dollar. Um, you know, government bailout during the pandemic, Nancy Pelosi went on the Colbert report and she said, you know, we need another Truman committee to look after all this money. Anytime the government is spending a lot of money on something, there are always calls for another Truman committee to look into it. It In many ways, Harry Truman kind of invented this notion of public watchdogs or public scrutiny of, of government expenditures.
0: Now, his first term was from 1934 to 1940. Was he even known very much well <laughs> other than
1: being the first the U.S. senator from Missouri? He was almost known in a negative way. Truman was elected. Truman's political career began in Kansas City, where he was tapped by the boss of the Kansas City machine, Tom Pendergast, to be a county judge, which is kind of like a county commissioner. It wasn't like a courtroom judge. But he served several terms doing that at the with the blessing of the of the kansas city political machine um and then it was tom pendergast who chose truman to run for the senate so this was politics at the time you know you couldn't really get elected without uh, being affiliated with one of these machines but they were widely uh linked to corruption and the kansas city machine was certainly a very corrupt one truman tried to walk this balance his whole political life of of You know, being a being a ethical politician, but knowing that he still had to serve, you know, the needs of his party and these patronage things. So when he came to the Senate, he was pretty much considered the senator from Pendergast. Mm -hmm. Franklin Roosevelt, many others kind of ignored him. He didn't really do much in that six years. And so nobody really paid attention to him. He was he was literally a political unknown. Should we be surprised that he was reelected or would he a finish
0: simply because Pendergast was behind him?
1: Yeah, at Pendergast by this by by 1940 when Truman was running for re-election, Pendergast had been had been caught, I think it was tax evasion, he had gone to jail. Truman was stained by this. He was running against a former governor of the state, Lloyd Stark. Franklin Roosevelt frankly did not favor Truman, favored Stark. However, stark was a staunch segregationist in a very racially divided state truman actually had the support of many of the black citizens of missouri he was also a a likable guy truman had been a farmer a businessman when he got out and started talking to missourians they understand that he was a guy who kind of spoke their language he wasn't kind of a phony politician stark so in other words his opponent had a lot of baggage Truman very, very narrowly squeaked out re-election in 1940 for a second term. And, you know, a lot of history, a lot of the nation's history hinged on that election. But so
0: considering all of that, why would FDR have chosen him to head this very important committee? Did he hope it was, that, that the committee wouldn't do much?
1: It was Truman's idea. Truman proposed it. Uh, there were other committees looking into this kind of um, spending. There was the Military Affairs Committee, the House Oversight Committee. So, um, and and as I said, there were there was a lot of Republican pressure to start their own investigations. And so Truman was considered. A fairly safe bet. He was a loyal soldier for the New Deal. He was quiet. He hadn't really done very much. And I think the attitude was, yeah, sure, let's let's toss him a bone. We'll give him a little bit of money and see what he comes up with.
0: You mentioned earlier that for much of his time in the Senate, his wife, Beth, stayed in Independence, Missouri. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was a prolific letter writer to her. So what was the tone of those letters?
1: Yep. Uh, was he complaining ab- all the time? Not? Well, a little bit. They're delightful to read. Um, Beth, Truman's wife, Bess, did not like Washington at all. She didn't like the social scene. She didn't like the weather. She really wanted to be back home in Missouri. And for a historian or a writer or journalist, I'm so lucky that she did, because when she was away, Truman, as I said, wrote a letter to her almost every night Mm -hmm. and so sometimes he's funny he's charming he was trying to raise a daughter his daughter Margaret was uh, in high school at this time he misses his wife several of the letters he signs lonesome Harry Mm -hmm. Um, it's funny to read a United States senator talking about uh, picking up his his clothes at the dry cleaning and that his underwear was still wet and he spent the evening ironing his clothes it's very delightful to read or he would tell her where he had lunch or who he met with Sometimes he would go out, you know, he would privately vent about Franklin Roosevelt or some of his colleagues in the Senate. But for, for me telling this story, you can kind of almost every day know what, what Truman did that day and what was going on in his mind and what he was thinking about. It was very delightful to read these.
0: You're listening to Leonard Lopate at Large on WBAI New York 99.5 FM and streaming live at WBAI.org. He was born. into the all conversation with Steve Drummond. If you sign up to become a member of WBAI during today's show with a contribution of $50 or more, you can receive a free copy of his book, The Watchdog, How the Truman Committee Battled Corruption and Helped Win World War II. To do that, just go online to give to WBAI.org or call 212-209-2950 during today's show, and we'll be happy to send you a copy. That's give and the number two WBAI.org or 212-209-2950. But don't forget to make that $50 donation in the name of Leonard Lopate at Large, and we thank you very much, and go back to Steve Drummond, who also know well, he's the author of the book we're discussing, *The Watchdog: How the Truman Committee Battled Corruption, Helped Win World War II*, published by Hanover Square Press. He also knows a bit about fundraising because he's a journalist at <laughs> NPR. <laughs> I sure do. Uh, he, where you've been a senior editor, executive producer for over two decades, also written for any number of publications. Um, how? long did the committee do its work
1: so truman was chairman of the committee from its start in march 1941 through august 1944 when he accepted the vice presidential nomination to to be on the ticket with Franklin Roosevelt for a fourth term. He felt it was important that he had now, uh, he, he could no longer be bipartisan in the committee's work, and he felt like it was time to resign. The Truman Committee commi- continued for another four years uh, with, it was called the Meade Committee, and uh, then under different names and different chairmen. Pretty much all the scholars and historians I studied, the belief was pretty much that once Truman left, the, 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 the wind went out of the sails of the Truman Committee. It still did its work. It went about its business. It issued reports. But it was no longer front-page news the way, had it, the way it had been under Truman.
0: Do we have any idea of how much the Truman Committee saved the federal government overall in the lead-up
1: to uh, our
0: involvement in World War II?
1: It's a great question, um, and there are a lot of different answers uh Uh, to it. Truman himself late in life was fond of quoting the figure of $15 billion. That's probably as good or a bad a number as there would be. Well, $15 Everyone billion I read,
0: dollars at that time was, what well, would that be the equivalent today? Many trillions.
1: Yeah, probably. Hundreds of billions of certainly, at least. A lot of money, especially if we point out, the Truman Committee, during the whole time Truman ran it, spent less than a million dollars of the taxpayers' money. So, it was, a, it was an amazing return on investment. His $15 billion figure probably was pulled out of a hat somewhere, but there's no question from all the historians and journalists at the time and researchers I've studied, it did save billions of dollars. The army, their very first report on army camps, it was widely acknowledged, had saved the government about $200 million. Um, Time and time again, these renegotiations of billion-dollar contracts would pull, pull back to the taxpayers millions of dollars. They would say, hey, we know we, signed this we know we signed this contract in a hurry. It's clear you made a lot of extra profits. We want some of that back. And generally, they would renegotiate these contracts and bring back billions. So all told, billions of dollars. Should I be surprised that his name
0: came up as a potential running mate for uh, FDR who? in the 44 presidential race? Wasn't Henry Wallace, the, the current vice president,
1: liked and respected by FDR? exactly leonard and 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 at the, and especially reading at the time you would have been very surprised um i i've gone back and read a lot of the newspapers around the country from 1943 as the year moved into 1944 and intense speculation on who would be on the ticket normally these days you know, it's it's liable to be Kamala Harris, I would guess, or generally the current president keeps this vice president on the ticket. With Roosevelt, this was a very different situation. One, Wallace was a really liked around the country as a Democrat. He was very progressive, very liberal, very popular. Eleanor Roosevelt and Franklin Roosevelt liked him personally. However, he was not a great politician. A lot of the sort of uh, run-of-the-mill kind of... Uh, um, politicians who made the party run, who understand how elections happen, who understand how to build local networks. there Wallace had no concept of any of this. And he was very unpopular among that wing of the Democratic Party. And it was a big campaign to, um, to remove him from the ticket. And then finally, I would say, those in the know a very few people in washington dc at the highest levels of the democratic party knew the president of the united states was very ill franklin roosevelt was a sick man they knew it was very likely that he would not survive a fourth term and so they began looking around for a successor truman and all these stories truman is like one percent he's like a long shot and it's only slowly through 1944 that his name kind of keeps bubbling up to the Slowly to the top of the list until finally, at the Chicago convention in August 1944, Roosevelt gets on the phone and tells Truman to take the job. He didn't want it. Now, my
0: crack audio engineer has looked up the, the uh, how much that. Uh, that those billions of dollars would be today. Oh, good. It's $253 trillion. <laughs> <laughs> billion, billion. Huh?
1: That is a lot. I should have done that. Billion. He's doing uh, my job oh, for me. I should so have put that 253 in the book. 253000000000 billion. I'm sorry. $253 billion. billion dollars. That, that seems right. It's a really good number. And it gives you an idea of how much was at stake here with this Truman committee. Thank you for that.
0: Now, um, what was Truman's relationship with FDR like at the time?
1: It's funny, late in life, uh, Truman, like a lot of us, Leonard, his stories got better and got embellished uh, as he aged and as he told them over and over again. Late in life, Truman was fond of saying that Roosevelt would call him up to the White House and tell him to investigate this or that contractor. The reality was at the time they had almost no relationship at all. Truman, from his first period in the Senate until 1944, had met with Roosevelt in person only six times. I found a memo uh, listing all these meetings um, in the Truman Library in Independence, Missouri. He had almost no relationship with Franklin Roosevelt and Franklin Roosevelt didn't really care for a lot of for most of this period who was going to be as vice presidential nominee Um, he liked Truman he didn't dislike him they just had no relationship at all it wasn't until Truman uh, became the vice presidential candidate they began meet more frequently Roosevelt was both ill and running a war so it was Truman who took on most of the campaigning uh, for, for Roosevelt's fourth term going around the country meeting with people making speeches and such.
0: Steve Drummond is my guest on today's Leonard Lopit at Large. His book, The Watchdog, How the Truman Committee Battled Corruption and Helped Win World War II, is published by Hanover Square Press. This is WBAI New York 99.5 FM and streaming live at WBAI.org. One big issue within the committee's scope was an investigation into the widespread racial discrimination in defense plants and the military. What were Truman's personal and public views on race? At the time, and how did he approach race relations in the in the early nineteen forties?
1: That's a great question, and especially in, in at this period of his life, as we know later on. Because this is Truman, Jim Crow time, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. very much so. And Truman, uh, Truman was born in the eighteen eighties in Missouri, a deeply segregationist state. Uh, he absorbed many of the racial bigotry and uh, prejudice that was expected of white people in missouri at that time and it wasn't until many years later that he would begin to change his views as a county judge he had encountered black citizens and jewish citizens and began to understand and see firsthand how the law the government in the united states um mistreated these people and was unequally uh disposed to favor whites so he was starting to understand this but in 1940 Truman wasn't quite there yet. There were many calls when the Truman Committee began from black leaders, the NAACP and elsewhere around the country and saying, hey, there's rampant discrimination in war plants and in the military. Mm -hmm. The Truman Committee should investigate this. Truman was in a bit of a spot here. Um, Franklin Roosevelt had no interest in alienating Democrats in the South by picking um, picking up this very sensitive topic. Truman's boss in the Senate, Senate Majority Leader Jimmy Burns, was a Southern segregationist who was not at all wild about Truman picking up this issue. Truman initially scheduled some hearings. They were canceled because of a dispute between the NAACP and some other leaders. But he promised, oh, well, when we're less busy, we'll pick this investigation up. He never actually did. Um, A mix of politics and other issues bubbling up at the same time. I think it's fair to say the Truman committee, Truman kind of dodged this issue when he could have made a statement there. It wouldn't be much later, when he was President of the United States, that his advocacy for civil rights would kind of come to the fore. Yeah. Do this, we this know is how, a tri-
0: what, why his uh, views on race and racial discrimination evolved over those years?
1: Yeah, I think so. A couple things. things. Um, his anti-Semitism took a blow in World War One, where he became very good friends with a Jewish soldier, and they, uh, they became friends, lifelong friends. They made a vow to go into business after the war. Truman's famous failed haberdashery was him and his partner, Eddie Jacobson, open up a men's clothing store in Kansas City. Um, It did really, really well until the economy went bad, and then uh, expensive men's clothings were not the style, and it went out of business. But he remained lifelong friends with Eddie Jacobson. But also, as a county judge, he actually took his public service seriously. He believed he represented all the citizens of jackson county missouri not just uh the white citizens he had at a time when the ku klux klan was on the rise and powerful truman had come close but did not join the ku klux klan for the remainder of his time as a missouri politician he ran Opposed by the Ku Klux Klan, he had a very good relationship with the black press and black leaders in in Missouri, and it helped him throughout his career. So he was being kind of led along the way. Uh, He was being forced by his public service to acknowledge the inequities in the system. And he was beginning to his views were beginning to evolve here. What role did Hollywood play
0: in the (laughs) early defense buildup?
1: Oh, I'm so glad you asked about this. Uh, It's one of the more fun chapters in the book and things that I looked into. So um, early on, it became clear the United States had to bring, eventually 13 million men and women would go into uniform during World War II from a number of a few hundred thousand when the war began. So millions of people had to be brought into the service, taught how to, the military life, they need to be trained on how to run a machine gun, or how to steer a ship, or how to, I don't uh, know, just about everything. And it was early on, realized that Hollywood could be a big help here with training films and um, uh, all kinds of uh, uh, movies were produced, thousands of them by Disney and all the big studios, uh, war training films, but also, oh, there was, you know, how to avoid venereal disease. There's a really funny one online of How to when you got to England, how to not offend the British people and here's what their Uh, manners and cultures were. Just about everything got a movie made about it. But same thing, just like steel production or airplane engines, the questions arose very early on. Hey, was Hollywood making a lot of profits on this? Weren't a lot of Hollywood directors and big, big shot movie executives going into the military and suddenly they were colonel this or major that, where, you know, everybody else had to enlist and go through it the hard way. So the Truman uh, committee, yeah, go
0: ahead. Didn't conservatives also see Hollywood as a dangerous leftist influence
1: in the country? Big time. It's kind of funny because as today, there was a lot of concern that the media industry was super liberal, you know, sort of super shaping public opinion. Whereas oddly during the war, Hollywood went the other way. Hollywood became very patriotic very, uh, uh, very immersed in sort of traditional values of family and hard work, and Hollywood was very much uh, on the side of fighting Nazi Germany, fighting fascism, fighting uh, Japan. And as then as now, there were there were extreme conservatives in the Congress saying, "Hey, you know, there's a conspiracy here. They're trying to manipulate the American public." So this was this is a very controversial topic through the war.
0: In what ways did Truman's experience on the committee prepare him for the White House? Oh,
1: that's a great question, too. And I've thought a lot about this. I think the biggest one... Well, one, it's it's kind of fun to to read all these letters and go through all these documents and kind of watch Truman learning on the job. You know, in 1941, he was a complete unknown. In 1944, he was a nationally recognized figure. He was used to making speeches to tens of thousands of people. He had to learn how to go on the radio and talk to the American people in a way they understood. But the most telling thing I would see is it taught Truman, I think, confidence in himself and confidence to stand up to the military stand up to the the defense industry i've seen it in this way um when truman was being considered for a spot as vice president there were a lot of calls saying hey tone down your criticism you know don't don't anger the president of the united states just cool it truman absolutely refused he continued his hard criticism he continued his public service and that i think was it well you know it's one of the things he's known for as president was making his willingness to make unpopular and unpolitically popular decisions firing general macarthur is a really good example you know it's got him all kinds of criticism uh from the press uh all kinds of vilification truman didn't care he did it anyway he he knew that macarthur had overstepped his bounds during the korean War he fired him so you see a lot of those seeds that that would guide him as president, being planted during the Truman Committee.
0: What happened with the committee after Truman was chosen to be FDR's vice president?
1: It uh, it continued on for another three or four years. Uh, many of the staffers stayed around, but it the, the 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 Truman Committee kind of petered out. There was a lot of work to be done. Having converted the entire U.S. economy to a wartime footing, the big question as early as 1943 and 1944, how do we put it back, you know, and put it back to what? Not to the depression economy of 25 percent unemployment. There were big questions about what to do with the factories the government had built, what to do with the millions of women who had gone into the workplace, how to unconvert the economy or turn it back to a peacetime economy without you know, falling back into depression. So the Truman Committee continued on after Truman's chairmanship. It just didn't quite have the popularity and the sort of national significance that it did under Truman.
0: Do we have any idea how much the Truman Committee saved the federal government overall in the lead up? to our involvement in world war ii and then well as i was saying earlier
1: it's um it's a tough call it's really hard to put numbers on it certainly it was in the billions of dollars and you know which as you pointed out earlier which would be the equivalent of hundreds of billions of dollars in today's money it's just really it's really hard to measure how much was the effect of truman and his committee himself how much was involved with uh, with other people but time and time again and then one of the one of the biggest questions was how much money did they save that never even got into a report or on paper they picked up the phone and they said hey there's a problem at this factory money's going out the back door you need to fix it and if the military fixed it There was nobody there to write a news story about it, and Truman was perfectly fine with that. But those are a lot of the things that the Truman Committee did that they never really got any kind of official credit for. That's what makes figuring out these money questions so difficult and analyzing the, you know, putting hard numbers on the Truman Committee's success is really difficult. What are some of the more curious findings about Truman
0: you discovered while you were researching this book?
1: Um... I was moved and impressed, and and I I guess in a a sort of remote way I knew this, that Truman was a very dedicated and devoted father, among the most, Hmm. uh, so he had a teenage daughter during this time, uh, Margaret, who was born late, Truman and Bess were in their 30s when Margaret was born, during the Truman Committee, she was in high school and then in college, and it's a time when truman was really struggling to manage his life in the u.s senate and also to be there for his daughter and his wife when he was home at the time and when they were in missouri truman write these long and very funny letters to his daughter and sometimes he would be saying hey you know you need to do this you need to make sure you do your homework but a lot of times they were talking about a movie uh, margaret had seen or a book that Truman had read, they would share books back and forth. I really was impressed with um, how much of his personal character came through while I was writing the story.
0: Would you say that uh, the Truman Committee is... One of the rare examples of governmental success.
1: <laughs> I would, and that's I'm like thinking about things-
0: today. What yeah. would happen if there were a, a, a Truman Committee today? I, I suspect we would be seeing a lot more fighting in public.
1: Yep, and I don't know, Leonard, if that's you know the media or social media or just the incredible partisanship of Washington today, but it seems really hard to imagine you know a bunch of members of Congress coming together, you know, resisting the urge to grab the headlines or to be on the TV that night and saying, hey, let's quietly make this problem go away. Let's quietly come to agreement on this report. There was almost no leaking, you know, so many of the things that plagued the, 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 the way Washington works today, Truman Again, everybody seems to give him personal credit for making this happen. Truman worked so hard to build consensus, to get the agreement, to, boy, you should see the memos to the Truman Committee going down to the staff saying, anybody talks to a reporter, you're gonna be in big trouble. And for the most part, Things didn't leak. They didn't play out there. They didn't air their business in public the way it seems so often happens today. So yeah, it's it's kind of inspiring to look back and and look at this as you say, very rare
0: success story. In the few minutes that we have left, anything you want to add?
1: Um, uh, let me think about that. Um, I grew up. Just outside Detroit, my grandparents were among the millions of people who moved north from the south to work in the war plants, like millions of other uh, people. It was really, really fun to pick up this story that affects so much of my own personal life. Hmm. In Washington D.C. to see these public servants, um, you know, looking into Detroit and seeing how the Ford Motor Company was doing or seeing what Chrysler was doing, but the really the main takeaway I came away from the book was reading these personal letters that people. Picked up a pen, they picked up a paper, and they said, "Hey, Senator Truman, my son is fighting overseas right now, and how can the steel company be doing this? You know, thanks a lot, Senator. Uh, you've really done a great job. Keep up the good work." That, to me, was kind of the heart of the story and what really inspired me to, you know, take on four take four years and write it.
0: Well, what struck me as much as anything was this was uh, the country was very conflicted at the time, and yet it did a lot it worked things out a lot better than what we're seeing
1: right now another time of conflict uh, uh, I, I very much think so and, and I talk a lot in the book about how this was a time and naturally it was wartime the attack on Pearl Harbor brought the country together in very so unusual so that's what ways. we
0: need somebody to yeah. start a war against the United States right now well,
1: or somehow we are, you know, the nation is threatened in so many different ways, and it's not as clear cut, perhaps, as Pearl Harbor. But nevertheless, whether it's on climate change or immigration or so many other ways, there are real issues that need real solutions. And right now, sometimes it seems frustrating of of watching politicians in Washington struggle to to make things happen. And so it was I it was kind of a pleasure the last few years to spend a lot of time in the nineteen forties and watching this sort of inspiring story roll out in front of me.
0: Steve Drummond's book, The Watchdog, How the Truman Committee Battled Corruption and Helped Win World War II is published by Hanover Square Press. It's been a great pleasure talking with you. Thank you so much for being on our show today.
1: Oh, it was certainly my pleasure. I really enjoyed the conversation. And that
0: brings us to the end of our show. My great thanks to Todd McGovern for all of his help in preparing this segment. If you're just discovering this program and would like to hear more about one-hour deep dive interviews, you can access our over 800 past shows streaming on demand at WBAI.org. Our podcast, which has surpassed one million plays, is available on iTunes, Apple, and everywhere else you get your podcasts. And if you'd like to write to me, my email address is LeonardLopate at WBAI.org. Before I sign off today, I need to ask you to support WBAI to keep this show coming to you weekdays from 1 to 2 p.m. Not just this show, this, uh, this station, because right now we are going through a fun drive week in which we will be offering all sorts of premiums beyond the obvious ones. But uh, the premiums that I'm going to offer you right now is uh, something I mentioned earlier. Uh, if you make a a contribution of fifty dollars or more in the name of Leonard LoPate, at large, right now you can receive a copy of the book we've been discussing, *The The Watchdog: How the Truman Committee Battled Corruption and Helped Win World War II* by Steve Drummond. Or you can just support us because you believe in what we do and want to help us stay alive. There's also uh, another thing that's happening now. We are offering uh, a number of collections on flash drives uh, called The Best of of BAI. And uh, I I think uh, shows and favorite hosts, flash drive, uh, sounds like a particularly intriguing one. Uh, You can have that for $99. However, you do it, give us that call at 212-209-2950. Or go online to give to WBAI.org. And you might also consider becoming a sustaining member, what we call a BAI buddy, with a monthly contribution of $10, 15 20 $25 a month, whatever you're comfortable with. And we'll say thank you with a BAI tote bag to anyone who signs up to become a BAI buddy $10 a month or more. But either way, I hope you'll call right now because we rely on, totally on listener donations. We're the only station in the New York Radio Dial. That's 100% listener-sponsored. Help keep us alive with your tax-deductible support. And we hope that you can join us again tomorrow when our guest will be one of our favorite regulars on our program, Bob Henley. We'll see you then.